0: Back in 2000, Amy and I were seatmates in our first big-time corporate job as Frenchly minted MBAs. We were both grateful and eager for the adventure ahead, but then the world changed, for her both professionally and personally, and that disruption set her on a completely different path. Today, she works with BDC as the co-founder of Spark Consulting to support entrepreneurs as they navigate their own journeys. Listen into this conversation as Amy and I catch up for the first time in 20 years and trade lessons learned in our careers. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by the Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. Amy, how are you?
1: I'm great. It's so good to be chatting with you again after these many, many years.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's your smiling face. It warms my heart. So mm-hmm. it's really nice to nice to have you in front of me. It's almost like your life size, to be honest with you. <laughs> On my desk, uh, it's perfect.
1: Uh, I've worked hard over the past few years to optimize my Zoom presence.
0: Yeah. Amy, <laughs> I don't remember when the last time we actually uh, talked face-to-face live, but it's got to be at it's got to be something around 20 years ago. That's right
1: That's right. Uh, We're coming up on two decades ish, which is yeah blows my mind to think about it. but yes And,
0: and for my for my listeners, uh, Amy was my cubicle mate. We I can still picture it in my mind. We both sat in cubicles in a tower in downtown Toronto in our first job post MBA. Uh, and for several months we sat beside each other. Uh, yes. You were to my left, and uh, and it was uh, a very interesting time, which I think we'll get into a little bit.
1: It was a very interesting time, and I couldn't have asked for a better cubicle oh. mate. <laughs>
0: Well, I do have an admission to make and and I will admit it uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit into the conversation and uh, nothing serious, no scandals, but something that it's an opportunity for me to kind of unload something okay. that, uh, something small that I've carried with me over the years. So yeah. I've got you intrigued now. Totally intrigued. You look on your face.
2: <laughs> totally intrigued. Um,
0: so, Amy, just uh, we we worked together, obviously, in management consulting, which was kind of the job, uh, one of the jobs that everybody wanted coming out of business school, uh, a career in management consulting. What do you remember about that time, pre-graduation, about the economy, the state of the world, the pursuit of this career? What, what do you remember from that time?
1: Oh, it was a really... pivotal pivotal time for me, I I often refer to going to business school as one of the biggest gifts I've ever given myself. Mm -hmm. Because like you, like most of our business school colleagues, you had to check out of your path in order to decide to go back to school again. Mm -hmm. And it was not in the same way it is today, but still at the time, it was a significant financial investment Mm -hmm. and there was an opportunity cost to it. Mm -hmm. So you had to be really deliberate about making that choice. And I was so excited by that choice Mm -hmm. and that opportunity to go back to school and to keep learning and to meet a whole new cohort of similarly minded people at that point in my life. So Mm -hmm. that that was very inspiring and i got involved at the school i ended up as president of the student council while i was in business school i didn't
0: know that i didn't yeah,
1: know yeah yeah i really i was so conscious of just seizing that opportunity because it had to be so deliberate to stop everything and go back to school so it was a huge gift that i gave myself and then coming out of school was a time of Incredible optimism. Mm. I just was so thrilled to have landed that job. I kind of couldn't believe it. Yeah. I remember showing my offer letter to my parents and we 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 laughed. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a great offer. They couldn't believe it. I was thrilled. I hadn't I hadn't sought out business as a career path as a as an undergrad. Yeah. Al, although Although my my parents interestingly worked for themselves their whole careers and I hope we get to circle back onto how yeah. I got onto that entrepreneurial path myself yeah. they weren't trained in business mm-hmm. so to come out and be on that path was so thrilling mm-hmm. and then things changed really really quickly mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Know yeah, if you well, remember. We'll,
0: well, I do remember and we'll go there. But before we go there, because I think that is a very defining, that whole period is very defining for many of us, uh, because it was a dramatic shift from optimism to, oh, my God, what's happening in the world? Uh, but we'll go there. I do want to just go back and transport back a little bit. So going to the MBA, I mean, you would have been on the same timeline I was. I started 98, graduated 2000. So take me back to 1997-ish. What was going on for you in your life? What was it that led to the thought process of leaving where you were? What were you leaving? And, and what were you going to? Like, what did the MBA symbolize for you?
1: Right. I... For me, I did an undergrad in arts, which I loved. I I loved it. I went to McGill and I just read and read and read and thought and read more and talked about those thoughts. And it was, Mm -hmm. that was thrilling too. Problematically, it did not point me in any one defined career path. Mm -hmm. So while I loved my undergrad in arts and I don't think I would trade it. Once I decided I didn't want to go to law school. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a series of jobs after undergrad that were not necessarily thrilling or fulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. I ended up in an admin job at a bank. Two of the best things in my life came out of that. One is I met my future husband. Okay. Um, and the other amazing thing was that my eyes were open to the world of business Uh, And I thought, I can go to business school and change my career path. I can completely alter where I am. And when I figured that out and got to business school, what I realized quickly was that was something I had in common with everybody else. Everybody in business school wanted to be somewhere else in their careers that they weren't in currently. Some people were making um, pretty big shifts um, as I was from arts into business or from engineering into business. And some people who uh, had been in business environments were just looking to advance their careers, mm-hmm. but we all had that in common. We all wanted to get somewhere further along our paths. Mm-hmm. So that that's was, what I remember about that. Was
0: time. there a moment, was there a moment I'm asking this because I'm reflecting on my own decisions as I made that, was there a moment at which it just hit you that you want to do the MBA or that um, yeah, this was the step you wanted to take. Does that come to mind?
1: I, I was involved. I said I was in an admin role, but the team that I was working on was um, working on a potential merger between two of Canada's biggest banks. Okay, And it just was super exciting. And I was exposed yeah. to these leaders in business yeah. and kind of had a front row seat mm-hmm. to see what was going on with decision making and the pace of decision making. And I just Mm -hmm. got super excited by it. I just Mm -hmm. thought I just I just had been underexposed and really loved the environment. I was Mm -hmm. super, super excited by by working with people of that intellect and ambition. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what precipitated my decision.
2: Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm.
0: I I had a moment, I had a moment. And uh, obviously, like you, a number of thoughts along the way wanted to shift my career wasn't I was enjoying what I was doing, but I thought there was more. But uh, Nerissa uh, and I went on a trip to New York soon after we got married. Uh, we went on a trip to New York City and we crashed at a friend's apartment uh, in Manhattan, small little place. Uh, so what? We were, what, 26? I was 26 at the time. Uh, we were in Manhattan. Uh, she was working on an assignment in Boston. and She was working for McKinsey. Yeah, obviously ah oh so she, she
1: figured this out before we did
0: <laughs> yeah she did and she was a year younger than me she was like one of these really smart kids that got promoted that you know very very advanced so she was she had gone to Harvard um and then she was working at McKinsey and so we stayed at her apartment and uh, I remember the first day we were in New York I woke up at five in the morning and I wanted to feel it I wanted to feel New York. So I I walked down to the street, grabbed a Wall Street Journal, went to the coffee kiosk, you know those little blue cups they sell on, yes. in, on New York <laughs> yes. streets that have been That's around exactly probably for years. Uh, and I got a bagel and I went somewhere and I read my Wall Street Journal and I just took it in. And it was that moment. I went upstairs back. My wife was just getting up and I said, I think I have to find a way to to, to be around this for a little while, for some yes, point yeah, in my career. Yeah,
2: yeah. And yeah,
0: she was very supportive on that trip. We negotiated a little side excursion to Boston. I sat in a Harvard business school class, again, took it in. And by the time I went back, it was like, yeah, I have to do this. That This is something I have to pursue just to see where it leads. So anyway, that was yes. my pre-journey. We talked about your pre-journey.
1: Yes, I can relate to that energy, though, and wanting, yeah. to, be, wanting to be a part of that and um, and wanting to do something more.
0: Yeah. It's what's interesting though. And I don't know what your experience is since then. And we'll get into that is what I thought I wanted at that time and what was so something I had to do. I had to do this thing. I had to be part of this energy, big business strategy, you know, CEOs. It turned out to be not at all what um, I realized I really needed in my life or wanted in my life, but it's so Shaquille,
1: different. I relate a hundred percent. Yeah.
0: So let's talk. Let's talk about that. Let's let's <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. kind of come back to this point of expectations, what you thought you needed, what you thought we wanted to do, and then what how life unfolds. So uh, let's talk about that time we were there working at uh, at this uh, firm. We were both thrilled to have the job. We were both in disbelief that somebody would hire us to consult the CEOs at large organizations. Um,
1: yes.
0: And but we entered at the time of the tech boom. Yes. And then shortly after we started, what happened? Let's talk about that a little bit. This what was in,
1: within months of starting. And I remember where I was. So for, for me, I, I would, I would love to hear about, you know, how you process that time uh, for me two major things happened. The first was I was in the office downtown on Bay street and Someone told us to turn on the TV, and we watched as the planes crashed into the towers at 9-11. So I remember leaving the office that day. I remember uh, calling my husband, and he left the office that day. And of course, the world was never the same again. On a closer-to-home front, of course, the economy totally shifted after that and shifted the demand at the time for management consultants. So I was caught up in that. Um, and it changed my opportunities at work, but the other major thing that happened for me was that, uh, my mother got a terminal cancer diagnosis and the that. combination of the macro environment in the world with what was going on in my own micro personal environment really upended my thinking completely mm. and everything I thought I wanted and All of the excitement of landing that dream job was reframed for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even have to give it a lot of thought to consider that I needed to be with the people who I loved. I needed to be with those people at that time. So, I took a leave from work not long after we started that gig Mm -hmm. and decided to be around and available for the last months of my mother's life. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I took that time. And during that time, as I was uh, a caregiver for her, um, I had the opportunity to reevaluate a lot of things, including how I wanted my work life to look. Mm -hmm. And for me, it synthesized in the realization that I actually didn't ever, again, want to be beholden to an employer who told me I had to be somewhere at a certain time Mm -hmm. because I knew that um, there were going to be times in my life where I needed to be elsewhere. I didn't have kids yet. I very much wanted a family um, and I knew that I needed to shift the perspective on the way I wanted to work. I had this, like I was newly minted MBA. I had my mm. my toolbox was full of tools and yeah. I wanted yeah. to go use them, but I didn't want to do it in a way where I was beholden to somebody else.
0: Yeah. And of course, in management consulting, it's one of the first principles is we're our client focused. And just in those days, client focus didn't mean, um, client focused didn't mean that it was all about meeting the client's need. It w- It was part of it. But client focus meant that you worked whatever hours you needed to work, you worked as long as you need to work, you need to be where you needed to be in order to do whatever it is that needed to be done for the client. Right. Um, right. That was I what think client focus meant. That was <laughs> the funny.
1: kicker, right? Was that it was, uh, we were pre-Zoom.
0: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it meant, meant as you as you well know, travel and being on site for the mm-hmm. client. Mm-hmm. And I c- just couldn't figure out how to reconcile that with how I knew I wanted my life to look mm-hmm.
0: and it wasn't children. Cause you didn't have children yet, but it was your mom. And that was the draw of spending time, spending yeah. time with her. What, yeah. what was, I mean, your, your mom is passed and long past and may her soul rest in peace. And I know you've probably felt her influence in your life in so many ways. What, uh, what was she, what was the conversation between you and her at this time because she obviously was excited about you getting a job offer and supportive of you going to business school uh what was that conversation like? what was she telling you
1: Oh, I was very close to my mother had a very close relationship with her and as excited and giddy and <laughs> Proud I heard from other people. <laughs> she wouldn't yeah. share that with me directly, yeah. but apparently, apparently she was very proud of me. Yeah. Um, as she shared with with just about everyone I, you know, I that she knew that I heard from. I have to say, when she got sick, there was there was there was no pressure from her to do anything other than to be with her. It's it's I think it's all we both wanted. Um, uh, my father was around too, which was enormous help and blessing and it was, it was really a gift to be able to have that time with her. I, I, I don't regret that for one second. Yeah. There was nowhere else that I wanted to be. And it was given that I didn't have my own family at the time. It was a real, it was a real gift that I had that time to be with her. Maybe. It was. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So you left and you, I mean, you were there for your mom in her last days. I remember coming to the service. Uh, It was beautiful. And she was a strong woman and left lots of, lots of love all around, um, uh, around. Uh, So then, then what happened? Like, what was the, what was, what was going through your mind then after a very, you know, climactic event in your life, your mom Mm -hmm. passed away. Uh How were you sorting through your next steps?
1: So there was one person around who really helped me during that time. That is my longtime bestie, Danielle, who I met in my first semester in residence at McGill, when we were both away from home for the first time. And um, Danielle was also around during that time um, when my mom was sick. And the reason she was around is because she was offered a job at the same consulting firm as we were after right. she had graduated from business school a year after we did, yeah. she got that signing bonus. And then after 9-11, her start date kept being deferred.
0: Right. I
2: remember that. Oh my going on, yeah, that,
1: yeah. that class behind us yeah. was really uh, stuck in a bind because yeah. they graduated. They'd gone through the recruiting process. They got their offers. And a lot of them, including Danielle simply never got to start. Mm-hmm. So eventually after her start day was pushed back repeatedly, uh, the firm said, I- I'm sorry, there's no spot for you here. Mm-hmm. So I had my bestie at my side and we had a lot of time to sit around during that period to think about how we wanted to use this new toolkit mm-hmm. um, in a way that worked for us. Mm-hmm. And so we decided we were going to do something together. We were going to do something entrepreneurial. Uh, we were going to, we had three criteria um, at the time, you know, we were we were I guess, using our new business skills. We thought, okay, mm. we're gonna we're gonna map this out. We wanted to do something that was 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 part time. We mm. each had babies on the brain. She was about to be married. I was newly married. We each wanted kids. We wanted to do something that was flexible. Mm. The second thing, as you referred to the tech boom, right? Neither one of us fit into that. That we did. Neither one of us had that skill set. So, so it can't, it cannot be a techie thing. We don't know that space. We don't have enough bandwidth to get up to speed in that space. It's not going to be that. And the third thing, as I mentioned, is we wanted to use our skills. We said, we've yeah. got all this amazing knowledge. Um, in some ways, it doesn't really matter what we start, but we want to take these business skills and put them to good use. Yeah. So once we had those criteria in place, we just started brainstorming ideas and ruling things out until we landed on an idea that yeah. fit the criteria.
0: Yeah. So you landed on that idea. And it's a very interesting idea because I have to say, that's one of the ways we stayed connected and it, it's been still been a while, but the business you landed on was something that I ended up buying four or five or six products from you over the course of your time in that business. So tell us about that discovery process and landing in that, in that business.
1: Yeah, we, we brainstormed ideas, we batted ideas around with each other, with anyone who would Listen to us about them. We talked yeah. to people that we knew. Um, we were pretty systematic about how we went about it. Eventually, we um, we found a business that yeah. Yeah. I was a customer of in a small town in northern Ontario, yeah. and we purchased it. We didn't. We didn't have to buy the business, but. We could have knocked it off, is what I'm saying. But I thought that was like terrible karma to get started with. I didn't want to show and rip off those ideas. It was an easy business to copy. It was
0: an easy business to copy. Right. Right.
1: Well, yes and no. We can get into that, and that's that's interesting about about uh, about starting a consumer a consumer product business. But um, a woman in in northern Ontario was making handmade personalized baby blankets. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't sound like rocket science, but um, they were really lovely. They were made locally. Both my business partner and I had babies on the brain. We were thinking about having kids. Everybody we knew, you know, to your point you know, was having kids. So we could sort of see the market for this. And we realized pretty quickly it wasn't scalable if we were sitting around um, making baby blankets. Yeah. Uh, coupled right. with the fact that I don't actually know how to turn on a sewing machine. <laughs> uh, but um, we we bought this woman's customer list and her designs and got her suppliers. That was actually super helpful to get a supplier list. And we started um, mucking around and finding finding people who could sew for us in Toronto and testing out different ideas. We had a, we had a, a 2001 e-commerce website, which... Mm. Someone in Vancouver had to build for us because we couldn't find anyone locally. who could do an e-commerce mm-hmm. website actually ended up <laughs> hard to believe, but being a big competitive differentiator because no one else yeah. who made products like we did had, um, had a website this or... before
0: Etsy, right? This was before. Oh, Etsy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. So, so that was, that was one of our big, our big selling points was that when we met people, Oh, my sister-in-law's pregnant, you know, whatever. I know some of my best friend's pregnant. So that's great. That's great. Here's yeah. our card. And when the baby comes. You can order online, so that was that was super helpful because you gotta time those those babies right. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah so we so we we started doing um, like consumer shows and craft shows yeah. and the one of a kind show in Canada, which is the biggest sort of makers market in the country. Um, and and we really did get to put those tools. Mm-hmm. In the toolbox to mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. Because what was super interesting was that I think maybe unlike going into a consulting career, where business school, I think, in some ways is a vocational school for investment bankers and management consultants. Yeah.
2: yeah. At the
1: time it was not for entrepreneurs. Yeah. We really did have to learn a mm-hmm. lot on the fly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you find suppliers? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you build your market? how do you get a product made in canada that was not that was not necessarily straightforward to figure out mm. so we got to learn all of the ins and outs and highs and lows of building a small business
2: mm-hmm.
1: which was thrilling
0: uh, <laughs> let me let me just uh, i mean i know that this is, there's no promotional value here because you don't have the business anymore you you've, you're out of that business but just the quality of the product and the symbolic meaning of the product. So these are baby blankets that are customized. You put the name of the child on them. You have a little bit of a graphic on them. Uh, speaking of rocket science, my son's has a rocket on it. Um, and so, uh, but they last, like they still have theirs. And while we'll get rid of a bunch of stuff from their childhood, we'll never, ever get rid of those blankets. That ever, just, ever. And we've given it to, to nieces say, and nephews. They yeah. still have
1: them. It was kind of a happy accident to fall yeah. into a business that was such a feel good business because yeah. that wasn't one of our criteria. You, know, as I mentioned, yeah. we had other ways we were thinking about our own business, but the fact that we that we ended up developing something that really delivered joy to people mm. was just a bonus that we were bringing keepsakes into people's lives, and we would hear this over and over again of you. When, when someone had to wash the baby blanket, you know, the kid sat outside the washing machine, you know, dork weeping until he could get his blanket back (laughs) or, or, you know, we, we had a, there was a real kick once where we were working with a PR person at one point to promote the products and uh, Princess Sophie was in town in Toronto and we were commissioned to make her, uh, her daughter, um, a customized blanket and we got wow. to go meet her at the King Eddie hotel, <laughs> like, wow. just like some just kooky fun things that we never would have Maybe. predicted. Maybe. Um, but it was, it was really a lovely thing to be in a business that was so joyful.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Uh, let's pull up from that. Oh, that's such a, such a business thing to say. Uh, Let's pull up from all that story and say, (laughs) if you were to like give advice to a young person kind of in a similar boat, wanting to start their own business, uh, what would you tell them? What, what did you learn from that experience that you'd pass on?
1: Oh, and I still talk about this with my clients today is I think about, there's a Venn diagram. Talk about consulting. There's a Venn yes. diagram in my mind. Yes. And the Venn diagram is, is three circles. And one of them is your idea. What's, yeah. what's What idea do you have for your business? And the second circle is um, who's the market for your business? Mm-hmm. Who are you going to sell this product or service to? Mm-hmm. And then the third circle in the Venn diagram is you and what do you bring to the table mm. and of course you want the intersection between those among those three circles to be as as you know as robust as possible i think about my uh my sister-in-law who lives in the west end of toronto and years ago she said you know amy she said i'm thinking about opening a bagel shop in my neighborhood because there isn't one mm. and i said that's a really great idea because you live in this like trendy neighborhood in the West end of the city. And I know there's no bagel shop out there. And so it's a good business idea. Mm -hmm. That's circle number one. I can see the demand for that. That's circle number two. I say, I say, Hey, you know, would you be willing to go like work in a bagel shop for six months to learn the business? Yeah. And she immediately replied, "Oh no, I, I would never want to work in a bagel shop." I <laughs> said, "Okay, okay. So there's your answer, right? You, yeah. It's a great idea. There's a market, but you're not the entrepreneur to bring that idea to the market." Yeah. So, um, so that's what what I
2: yeah what
1: I what I would tell somebody, um, and what I still think about when I when I work with small business clients. Now.
0: Yeah, and I love that question about would you go work in a bagel shop? On one hand, that's a good filter. But on the other hand is what if you don't know for sure the answer to that question? I'm not sure if I'd enjoy working. With, well, that's, you're setting up an experiment. Well, go work in a bagel shop for six months.
1: I am. I, I'm so on that page, Shaquille, right? Yeah. Because what's, what's, what would be, what would be the worst case scenario? If you, if you, know, if you're really into an idea, what'd be the worst case scenario of, um of, of um, trying that out. And, you know, to your question about, you know, what, what would, what would I tell someone? We talked to, Everybody at that point, um, when we were starting out, anyone who would listen to us, we talked, we went into a business partnership, which is something ironically, I would advise 99 out of hundred people not to do, but my, my business partnership has been a long one and a very successful one. We talked, so we talked to business partners to see how they communicated in their partnership and how they, um, dealt with differences of opinion and how they dealt with the money and you know, right. everything around, around partnership issues. Uh, once we decided that we were going to do e-commerce and we were a mail order company, we spoke to other mail order companies to see how they dealt with those issues and how they right. sorted that out. And and that is advice I would most certainly give to any budding entrepreneur is talk right. to everybody. Also, I think a little, it's a bit of a a, a life hack. I really think that um, anybody will give you 30 minutes of their time. Yeah. If you're transparent with a request of somebody, and this is not just for entrepreneurs, right? If you want to learn something or connect with someone, if you're transparent about your reason for connecting and you make the request time limited, you know, can I grab 15 minutes of your time? Can I grab 30 minutes of your time? I truly believe most anybody will speak to you. I think people get intimidated about reaching out sometimes. Yeah. And (laughs) the truth is... (laughs) Case in point, people like to talk about themselves. Yeah,
0: for sure. And this this is a time-tested fundamental principle of the world that goes back, right? It's just fundamental that um, people want to share their experience. They're happy to help uh, by sharing the experience. But the other fundamental truth is most people are hesitant at asking other people to share their experience. So there's this kind of this weird kind of tension that doesn't seem to ever go away. Like I know my boys, right? When my son is thinking about a particular engineering program, well, the neighbor actually has been through his engineering program. Why don't you go talk to him? Okay, great idea. But, you know, weeks and months roll by. And then finally he does talk to him and oh my goodness, it's been great conversation. But there's that hesitancy. Why do you think people are hesitant at asking other people for... Um, I don't know, help, advice. What, what what do you think holds them back?
1: Golly. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're tapping into some kind of human nature in that dichotomy, right? People are willing to give, but people are hesitant to, to ask, I I don't know, fear of rejection. Someone's going to say no. Yeah. So someone says no, ask another engineer. Like it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And it's vulnerability.
0: It's vulnerability.
1: Of course. Yeah. You're putting yourself out there, but Rare is the conversation that you have with a connection like that where nothing comes of it. If yeah. that's the worst possible outcome, then yeah. that's not too sad. You've spent 30 minutes of your life, but yeah. chances are you'll take one nugget with yeah. you yeah. and carry yeah. it. And some of those yeah. nuggets are the most valuable and powerful ones. Yeah,
0: for sure. So good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's great kind of advice for, for young people right now. So we, we went through a period of disruption, both. Uh, you know, career disruption, uh, our principles were, were challenged, uh, we were forced to remind ourselves of our values, both for professional reasons, but also personal reasons. I went through something similar, I had to make choices because I was traveling, my kids were growing up without me, my dad got sick, my mom passed away, and it was all intertwined, business decisions, career decisions, and family life, all intertwined. Again, back to advice to, to others, leaders facing uh, the un- upcoming uncertainty. What did you learn from going through that volatility, disruption, uncertainty yourself?
1: I learned something that is now the starting point of mm-hmm. any conversation I have with an entrepreneur that I'm mm-hmm. working with now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's just a question Mm-hmm. Of uh, because to your point, you can't extract the personal from the professional, mm-hmm. we all have different ways of prioritizing and compartmentalizing. And something that's really actually an interesting, just insight for me all these years out. I, I think I thought that I might get more judgmental as I got older, perhaps because mm-hmm. I saw other people in my life becoming more judgmental or mm-hmm. more cemented in their opinions as they got mm-hmm. older. And mm-hmm. I, I actually find that. I think because of the disruptions that we've gone through I've become way more open just mm-hmm. much more accepting and compelled by mm-hmm. why people make the choices they make. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's where I start when I when I work with 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 new entrepreneurs is what are you looking to accomplish out of this? Mm-hmm. If you were to instead of looking back, if we were to if we were to propel ourselves two decades forward. Mm-hmm. And you sitting in a Muskoka chair somewhere, mm-hmm. and you're reflecting back, what do you feel you will have wanted your work experience to be?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What's, and, and some people want to make a zillion dollars. And some people have financial needs that they must meet. And some people want to balance their work lives with their family lives. Some people want to give back.
2: Some mm-hmm. people
1: want to put beauty into the world, whatever it is, like whatever it yeah, is, yeah. I, I, I am completely non-judgmental about that. But if you don't know why you're on that path, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get to any destination.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like as we well know, mm-hmm. things can change. Mm-hmm. things do change and your opportunities change. They either become more limited or more expansive mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you know, puts you onto um, a new direction. But especially as an entrepreneur, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. then it's going to be really tough to get there. Mm.
0: So like taking that own lesson, when you go back to that 1997, when you were looking at pursuing the MBA, do you think you knew at that time the Why? Why you wanted mm. to pursue it, or what was it that you wanted to be and achieve?
1: Oh, golly! Um, in 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 some ways, yes. And then yeah. of course, looking back in hindsight, yeah. well, my priorities totally shifted. I yeah. couldn't have known that at the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, you've heard the expression "comparison is the thief of joy."
0: I've never heard that, but that's a that's an interesting thing. I don't wanna,
1: I don't want to attribute it because I'm gonna get it wrong. <laughs> but it, it, that's something that stepping off the corporate path taught me. You, yeah. you, you can't kind of help but look over your shoulder at where mm-hmm. the people who you were once with are now headed, and you're not on that path anymore. Mm-hmm. And then when you step into the great unknown, you see other people running their own, you know, their own businesses or, you know, someone really just, you know, like seems to hit it big or you, 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 you question, you know, are, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, uh, you know, a, a, a big learning is that you, you can't, you can't compare your journey to someone else's yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. on your own path. Yeah. When, when I, this is, Really freaky for me to think about, but when when my mother was exactly the age that I am now, she ran her first marathon, mm-hmm. and I was living in Washington D.C. at the time mm-hmm. after undergrad, and she ran the New York City marathon, and I came up from D.C. to watch her run the race, and my mm-hmm. brother and my father came down with her from Toronto to run the race, and uh, for me, watching the New York City marathon was. One of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had. I watched the elite runners fly by and they're they're these you know superhumans, so kind of unrelatable because they're just yeah. these extraordinary athletes. And then sometime much, much later, I watch, you know, my mom trudging down Fifth Avenue into Central Park along with the rest of the middle of the Packers back of the Packers. And I said, Oh, I want to do that too. I think this is just, I just, I'm weeping. It's so emotional. Everyone's trying their best and they're doing something for themselves that they worked so hard for. And it was, you know, I, it just, it was just extraordinary to me. So um, I went back to Washington DC and I started training for my first marathon and I ended up running several marathons with my mom. We ran the Toronto marathon together, uh, Chicago, Washington DC, and then the Boston marathon together. And and when I eventually moved back to Toronto, we would often train together. We'd do a long run together, maybe once a week or and I'd catch up with her. And it was, you know, it was very, very special and lovely and, um, and a really neat thing to do together. And there was every time, every time we would race together, we'd you know, get to the start line together, but we would look at each other and say, run your own race. So we've worked too hard and done too much preparation and put too much into this to do this for anyone, but
0: ourselves love it so
1: um so that's really that's that that I love one it. is
0: who are you doing it for just ask yeah. yourself the question who are you doing this for I love yeah. it yeah. gosh that- so much so much wisdom in this conversation so what I do uh Amy if you've listened to any of my episodes I go back just so you know that either on a run or a walk I listen to the raw footage and then okay. I just kind of uh, just absorb it and say okay what have I learned from this conversation and that becomes my recap um, and my and my lessons the feedback I've gotten to my listeners is they love the recap so yes. you've given me lots of things to summarize mm-hmm. here and think about and reflect on okay. so I'm grateful for that
1: okay. um,
0: I also want to manage time because it's we've already can you believe it we've already been at this you know 45 minutes it's gone so fast you're easy um, to talk <laughs> Amy you uh We got to know each other at a very interesting time in our lives and our careers, and one of the joys of what I'm doing with these podcasts is I get to connect with people that were meaningful to me at a particular time, but then we didn't stay in touch, but the feelings remain, and so I'm really glad we've had this opportunity because the feelings remain. And, uh, <laughs> and so let me just say, because I did set you up for this and I haven't given you the reveal. What was the thing I've been carrying with me all these years? Oh, yeah. So after you left the organization, uh, I took your desk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was so, it a better desk? <laughs> uh,
0: No, but it was just closer to the action. <laughs> Uh, I was like, you know, it was not far from you, but, you know, I just noticed that more of the vibe uh, was uh, uh, the new income, new incoming class on stuff. So I shifted over and moved your desk and I absorbed your energy. And it was so interesting being in that desk because, you know, like I said, this in so many different circumstances, what you look at actually has the ability to shift your perspective. Mm-hmm. And it was such a small example of of shifting perspectives. But I saw different things. I talked to different people. Mm-hmm. and I ha- this this idea that I was sitting at Amy's desk, I believe actually does it does have an impact on you because I wasn't sitting at my desk. I was sitting at Amy's desk. So hopefully some of your perspective actually came through me. And actually, I had a very good, four-year run at that organization and I really enjoyed what I learned uh uh, and I'm really grateful that you were there for the very beginning of it so
1: well thank thank you you and credit to you Shaquille for being open to new perspectives I think sometimes that's hard but only we can decide to look at things in a new way so yeah, good, yeah. For you. <laughs> well, good for we you. Well, we talked about
0: very many deep things here, but I can't believe it. We didn't actually, I know this about you, but we didn't share with my listeners. You, and it came up a little bit, but you actually coach entrepreneurs now. That's what you yes. do professionally. You yes. coach entrepreneurs now.
1: Yes. So yes.
0: how do people find you? How do they hire oh, yeah. you? Yeah. How do they talk yeah. To
1: you? So, um, so my business partner, and I sold our, our small business, which was yeah. great because it still exists in the world and people can still buy baby blankets and that's yes. amazing. Um, and now I get to do my my true, true passion, which is to work with other entrepreneurs and small business owners. And my business partner and I are Spark Consulting. Um, that's our website, sparkconsulting.ca. And we help entrepreneurs grow their businesses.
0: Okay. And you're on LinkedIn. Oh, right? Of course. Yes, okay. of course. Yes, awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, any of my listeners, Amy is a wonderful person to work with very safe space and uh will help you ask the deep questions to make sure you're, you're moving forward in your business for the right reasons, but we didn't talk about it. You also have the technical background to help them think through growing their business and solving business problems. And, and that's also available in a conversation with Amy, you get the whole package. Amy, thank you.
1: Thank, thank you so
0: much. Have a wonderful day and I thank look you. forward to staying connected.
1: Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much.
0: Take care. Thank Bye. You. Bye. That was so lovely to catch up with Amy after all these years. It really felt like no time had passed since we sat side by side in that downtown Toronto tower. She shared some great lessons. First, as you pursue a new opportunity, it could be a job, a project, a new venture, understand why you are doing it. Interrogate your motives and be sure there is a deep purpose behind it. She went on to share that when thinking about starting a business, Be clear not only on the business fundamentals, but also be clear on what you bring to the venture. What do you bring that is special, that is unique? And think of ways to test and try it to see if you are even good at it. Perhaps if you can discover whether you love it before you dive in headfirst, it'll increase your chance of happiness and success. The quote she shares, Don't let comparison be the thief of joy. That came from Teddy Roosevelt. He said that in the early 1900s. Now it's one of those fundamental truths that is timeless. I wonder what Teddy would have said about our constant culture of comparison through social media today. I have to say I have been much happier myself since I deleted my Facebook and Instagram apps from my phone. I also find it interesting that in 2001 she decided that she did not want to work in a job where someone else decided where and when she was going to have to work. When we were in consulting, we were basically directed where to travel, where to go, and the hours of work were really not defined by us. So what's going on right now with, some people call it the great resignation, but clearly a, a discerning selection criteria around where people get to work, do they get to work from home, What's going on right now is no different than what was going on in those days for Amy. It just seems to be happening in a much broader scale, but it's not new. Great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it.
2: And thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate,
0: review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNCConnected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.